attention, please. Good morning or good evening, depending on whatever shift your seniority allows you to hold. I'm William Young, correctional officer and author of When Home Becomes a Housing Unit. Tonight I'll be your ever so gracious host and director of dialogue for the duration of our discussion. Allow me to welcome you with warm, unwavering, outstretched, and open arms to this week's edition of the Saturday Night Synopsis. For those of you who are coming back, who have seen the show before, I want to thank you for coming in, stopping by, supporting us listening to me ramble about the craziness, the wild world of corrections. For those of you who have never watched a show before, we speak about corrections and we tackle topics like trauma and the toll that can it take on a correctional officer throughout the duration of his career. Tonight, my brothers and sisters, I have with me a friend who has spent his last 24 years selflessly serving his community in his correctional facility. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm Saturday night synopsis. Welcome to Lieutenant Brian Hughes. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. How are you doing today? Doing great. I'm excited. Good. I'm excited to have you here. What'd you What'd you do today, man? Anything uh, Anything fun? Oh, did some yard work and uh, took the Harley for a, a small trip. Nice. What kind of Harley you got? It's a fat boy. All nice. Custom. I'll never buy so much chrome again. Right, that's uh, that Fat Boy was my nickname in high school too. By the way, nice, bring back some bad memories. Right, and... right, right. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm getting bullied in the locker room again. Right, right. <laughs> I uh, I went uh, kayaking today. I pulled the kayak out, and uh, and an interesting thing happened. I want to share with you guys. Uh, when I came home, I didn't. I caught a couple of small fish, but uh, and I'm going to post a little video. I participated in some self care, and I decided to. Film it uh, for you guys. What's up, everybody who's watching? Uh, but when I got home, something crazy happened, right? I'm standing outside talking to my neighbor, and I see another neighbor, and he's running across the street. And so my smart-ass mouth, I said, hey, buddy, somebody chasing you? Well, then I look, and I pan to my right, and I see my neighbor down the street, and all I can see is his legs sticking out of the bottom of his truck. <laughs> okay. So I run. I, I'm barefoot. I'm in my swim trunks. I just got out of my kayak. I run down. The poor guy cut into his fingers with his chop saw. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, so he's laying there, and, and, and we're putting pressure on it. We're waiting for the EMTs uh, to arrive. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, I'm not even a first responder, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's one of the good things about uh, working in corrections. And it's funny because afterwards, you know, my neighbors, they all gathered around, and they came out, and, 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 and everybody helped the best way that they can. But... Uh, it was funny because I kind of felt like I took control of the scene and that I 
uh, afterwards, I, I, I did the same thing. I almost felt like I wanted to write a report about it. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I, I was coming down. I was decompressing. I was checking on my neighbors. Hey, are you okay? Hey, are you okay? I just thought it was kind of crazy because it's a Saturday afternoon, suburban America, and my day off, and here I go snapping into into corrections mode. So that was that was uh, that was my day. Absolutely, more exciting than mine. <laughs> well, I don't know. I might have. I've been on. I used to have a motorcycle, man, and I uh, I would much rather probably be on a motorcycle. Than, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. The job, the job best prepares us to handle that stuff, though. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. We uh, look. I spent a lot of time talking about the the uh, some of the negative repercussions of working in corrections, but there is a lot of good stuff uh, that we learn that we pick up uh, that prepares us, where other people kind of just just stand there and. And watch. Uh, and watch, yeah. All right, Brian, listen, uh, one of the first things I ask everybody when I meet him, and I know we've talked before, but some of these people out there, uh, they, hey, Mike, how you doing? Some of these people out there have never met you before. And, and I want to know, and, and I want the, I want you guys watching to answer this too. Leave, leave it in the comments below. But, Brian, why corrections? What, what led you to this wonderful world of corrections? Wonderful world. So I knew I was going to do something law enforcement-wise. Um, when I was a real little little kid, uh, we lived in Georgia. My dad was an undercover narcotics cop in Brunswick, Georgia. Nice. Then we ended up moving back to Michigan, um, where he, he worked in a, a prison for 30 years before he retired. And and so I knew it was going to be law enforcement. Um, so I, I started with a prison, which was a lot easier to get into than law enforcement, uh, than a police um, my original plan was to eventually segue to the police department, but um, I, I established a pretty nice career and I've done some pretty uh, exciting things and it just worked out. So I, I never left. Oh, that's great, man. I, you know, I was the same way. I, I wanted to be a cop. Uh, I wanted to be a homicide detective. I worked at the, for, exactly. for the coroner. You know, I yeah. worked for the coroner. I picked up bodies, and I thought, hey, I can I can do this kind of thing. Unfortunately, I was too fat and out of shape to ever pass the physical, so <laughs> I had to stay in corrections. Now, listen, yeah. I always joke and tell people the reason I stay in corrections is because I like too much. I like people too much to be a cop. You know, that's what, right, that's right. what I tell people. So exactly. Yeah, so no, that's me. I'm... Go ahead, man. Sorry. I, just, I wanted to be a homicide detective too. That was always my big goal. Um, and that's, we have a lot in common uh, with stuff like this. So um, you used to pick up the dead bodies. And, and before I went to the prison, I worked at a local hospital and I took dead bodies to the morgue. So Wow. We're know. like soulmates, man. That's, that's, that's great. I wonder, yeah. can, you, can you hear what I'm thinking? Nope. I better no. No, you better. Don't say that. Don't say that. We're live. We're live, Brian. Okay. We're live. All right. Hey. Um, you got sick, right? You, well, yeah, you, we're you, corrections. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I don't mean I don't mean up here sick, oh, but you oh, you nice. actually uh, you actually were one of the uh, people that caught caught the virus going around, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when it hit Michigan, it uh it hit my facility the hardest. Like we got hit first, and we got hit hard. So yeah, I was sick. I was off work for three weeks. Um. I've been back about three weeks and I'm still not 100%. So it's a, it's a rough do. Tell me a little bit about when you, you, so you were, you weren't feeling right. And then you went, I mean, did you know right away? You're like, man, I, I, I think I might have this or, or, or maybe this is not good. I mean, how did that go? I mean, originally, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't go to the doctors. No, uh, no. 
So originally I just figured it was the same old flu we get every year up here in this weather. Um, but then I, I had a fever that just wouldn't go away. I had a fever for a week and a half. Damn. Uh, and then coming from my facility, I knew I was in contact. Um, so I, we did call the doctors. They wouldn't let me come in the office because I was a contact. Right. Um, but they sent me to the hospital where they, you know, had questions from the CDC and did the testing and all that. So um, I originally I didn't think it was, but here we are <laughs> three weeks later. So you were you were home for three weeks. So uh, as a as a correctional officer, I'm I'm uh, I'm a I'm going to say I'm a pessimist. Right. And uh, I, I forecast the worst possible uh, scenario. It's like, hey, my neighbor cut his fingers off. I snap in action. I handle it. But I stub my toe and, I, and it ruins my whole fucking day. So uh, right, right. what was your mindset when you were at home sick with this thing? Did you think oh, I'm going to beat this thing or do you think, shit, I'm uh, I might not be OK? Uh, for the most part, I figured I would beat it. Um, but I, I had a couple moments where uh, I, I, was, I got concerned. Um, I had a couple panic attacks. I hate to admit it, but I did. Um, my wife walked in on one. She's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, it was scary, too. He, that's, I had to quit watching the news because yeah. everything was destruction. And um, so everything about this virus they were making horrible, and all you heard was people dying and so, yeah, it, it, I had a couple moments where I thought, man, all the shit I've done and been through, and this is what's going to fucking do it. Like, right, right. Yeah, but, but, you know, yeah, for the most part, though, I stayed pretty positive and just knew time would take care of it. Now, as a lieutenant, it, you have you have your, your guys and gals that you take care of. What was it right. like being at home knowing what they were going through and knowing you couldn't get to them? Man, that, that was the worst. For me, that was the worst. Uh, the guilt that I felt being home and not being there with my crew is that got me the worst. I felt horrible. Um, I felt like I should be there. Um, I'm the leader of that shift. Um, and I should be there leading them. And in Michigan, because of budget and all that bullshit, um, they did away with third shift captains. So as far as rank, I'm, I'm as high as it goes on third shift. So, um, absolutely. I should have been there. I felt guilty as hell for not being there because I knew what my officers were facing every day and they were walking in there besides ones that were sick too. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I should have been there. I wanted to be there. I'm putting there. I'm, I'm asking, I'm telling people if they have any questions uh, to please leave below. All right. Very good. Brian, we, we, so you, you were off for three weeks. You came back. What was it like going, I mean, were you, because after a while, I know you've been in corrections long enough, we, we don't even really think about uh, going in and out of the facility. I mean, it's, right. it's we have our mental preparation that we do. We, we have our routines, but mm -hmm. it, it's only when something really crazy happens that, that at least I stop and think, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this. What was it like for you going right. back, going back into the, into like an active fire, you know, this, right. this, this, this pandemic, uh, you know, after afterwards. Right. Well, that was, yeah, we, we don't think about going in and out because if we did, we'd never fucking go back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. right. Well, and I'm just thinking, you know, if we, if we face the things that could happen to us every day, I mean, we, we, but we don't think about that stuff. We just go in and do it. So, but yeah, being off for three weeks and then going back in, I, uh, I was a little apprehensive, like, I just fought this shit for three weeks, and I'm walking right back into it. I mean, we are the hardest hit facility. I'm walking into a sick, sick facility. Right. So, yeah, I was pretty apprehensive. 
can I get sick again? Can I not? You know, I, at that time you didn't know. Right. It depends on what news channel you listen to. Some exactly. of them say you're fine. Some of them say you're going to die. So I don't know. Right. I just, I stopped watching the briefings. Well, like I said, I died twice. I died right. twice. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Died twice, and you can still vote in November, so that's, that's good for you. Hey, so we originally met. You you contacted me uh, because you read uh, some things that I wrote, right, through the in the Correctional Oasis. I used to write for the Desert Waters, puts out a, a monthly newsletter called the Correctional Oasis, and you had read something, and you reached out to me, and, and we talked. And, and one of the things that we talked about is that you wanted to uh, start writing. And, uh, and then, and so you did, and, uh, I've read the things that you've written. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. It's a great perspective. Uh, tell me why you felt the urge to kind of reach out and, and to travel down this path. Uh, for me, uh, the reason I reached out, I, I related so much to everything you've said, um, it's like we live the same lives, work the same fucking joints, <laughs> same experiences. So as I, I've told you before, I, I got tired of burying officers. I got tired of staff suicides. Uh, and so writing is uh, is a release for me. Uh, it's therapy in itself. Um, and getting introduced to the doc that runs that site, um, she's let me start writing articles for the, the newsletter. Um, man, it's been awesome. It's been great. Uh, it's important for us to just reach out to staff and, and let them know that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help and it's a culture we have to change. So for those of you who don't know, uh, what the, the newsletter that we're talking about, if you go to desertwaters.com and they, you can subscribe to their monthly newsletter, it's called the Correctional Oasis. It'll come right to your email. Um, it, it, there's great information in there uh, from officers, from clinicians, um, all over the place, and 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 you can go back and there's years and years and years of of uh, archives. Uh, Brian, do you have uh, you have an article that's going to be coming up uh, in the what June June? Uh, yep, yeah, I have one in June coming up. That is basically going to be towards supervisors. Um, it's going to be about follow up. Uh, it talks about how. Say we have a stabbing. Um, okay. We have a stabbing and, and staff respond and they handle the situation. Absolutely, I'm gonna ask my staff, are you okay? Every one of them are gonna say yes. Right. They're gonna say yes. Be, well, for one, they might be okay. For two, we're all in a group. So if they are fucked up, they're not gonna say, hey, I'm not okay. Right, right. And other staff members that are watching. Um, and so this was pretty much about follow-up, how us as supervisors have a responsibility to go back in a two weeks, three weeks, a month, um, maybe they're not okay. And we, we need to be asking that question. Um, maybe they can't sleep. Maybe they're scared to death. Maybe they're having nightmares about what happened. Maybe, I mean, for most of us, this is a culture shock. We don't come from this world where people are getting fucking butchered and jumping right. off for calories, and that's not the life most of us live. So right. it's a culture shock. And if it's the first time you've ever dealt with it, I mean, it's it's an eye opening, right? And, and that's what I try to tell people. You, no matter how prepared you think you are to work in this profession, you're not. You, when no. that door closes behind you, and you're on your own for the first time, when you're responding to that medical emergency for the first time, when you yeah. see that first hanging or stabbing, or 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 you're in a in a room full of full of shit water, you just right. you're not you weren't prepared for that. 
right? Yeah. And, and you're right. The the follow up, the follow up is so important. And, and and I talk about this, and this is the this is my dead horse that I beat, right? Mm-hmm. Not being okay doesn't mean that you're in the corner crying, sucking your thumb. And, right. and like you said, uh, panic attacks, anxiety, uh, reoccurring depression. thoughts, depression, paranoia. Right, right. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of it, it exists on this continuum. So some of us mm-hmm. have really minor, and some of us have very monumental side effects. Uh, that right. it's addressed. But you're right. One of the things that that is so important is to check in on your staff. Because right at the end of it, when we tie everything up, we're all high-fiving each other. Everything's good. Of you course know, we're okay. Right. You go write your report, and then nothing. Right. That's it. We just assume that everybody's well, moving on. And those of us that have been doing it for 24 years, that's just what we do. And 24 years ago, that's how prison was. You did it, you shut the fuck up, and you waited for the next one. Right. But it's not the world anymore. And we need to check on staff because those staff for the last 20 years are now killing themselves at an alarming rate. And I, I Brian, because those resources didn't exist 20 years right. ago, 25 years ago, I think that's a big contributor to the resistance of of veteran staff to say, well, we didn't have this when I was coming up, I, and I'm just fine. I, you know, I've been right. divorced three times. You know, right. I'm 200 pounds overweight, but I, right. I'm just fine. I drink a case of beer on the way home. Right, 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 right. <laughs> just to go to sleep, right? right. I, I wrote, I, I, there's a chapter in my book where I talk about, I, I, I used to stop at Taco Bell every night on my way home. And I would get, I, I would get too much Taco Bell. $20 worth, you know, and, and this is, you know, 10 years ago. That's a lot of fucking tacos. So I'd come home, I'd, I'd eat my tacos, and I'd chase my blood pressure medication with whiskey, you know, and then I'd go to sleep at 3 or 4 in the morning. I'd sleep for a couple hours. I'd get up and do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. That's, uh, <laughs> that's I was killing myself slowly. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. Look, guys, for those of you just signed on, I'm talking with Lieutenant Brian Hughes, 24-year veteran of the Department of Corrections. And then we're talking about why it's important for veteran staff, for, for seasoned, salty individuals to acknowledge and address the fact that there are some symptoms, there are some negative side effects to working in a correctional facility. Brian, I think you hit the nail on the head. One of the most important things that veterans can do, uh, leaders, because you don't have to be a supervisor to be a leader, right? There's a big difference. And there's many supervisors that are not leaders. That's, that's, that's correct, but they're learning. Uh, one of the best things that you can do is to put yourself out there, to say, you know what? Yeah, this job has affected me a little bit, but here is how we can kind of uh, circumvent that a little bit, how we can minimize the damage of that. And so right. kind of what I'm talking about is is mentoring kind of the newer staff. Not not the official like field training officer program, but but right. can you talk a little bit about how important you think it is for for veteran staff to to mentor to help because here's what they say and here's what other people on other shows have talked about. They've said, "Hey, if you don't work here for a year, I'm not going to learn your name. If right. you haven't worked here for 5 years, then I don't even care." Right. Uh, but the problem is we lose a lot of good potential officers mm-hmm. because of that attitude. So how how important is it for for guys like you, 
uh, guys like me, guys like the people that guys and gals that are that are watching to to reach out to those younger uh, rookies. Right. Well, here in Michigan, we say uh, for the first five years, you ain't worth the shit to the state. And for next, you know, after the first five years, you ain't worth the shit to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> is that a, is that an official motto or what? It should be. It's quoted <laughs> enough. It's quoted enough. You know what so, I think the official motto of correction should be? Fuck this yeah. place. <laughs> right. It, you know, because I, I probably say that four or five times a week. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you're good. You're good. We can go on forever on this stuff. <laughs> um, it, as far as training these new folks, it is it's very important, man. And it's even more important because we got what we call millennials, and and that's a whole different breed of learning. And and they want to they want to question everything. And us old school thinking that pisses us off because when we hired him, you didn't question nothing. You did what the fuck you were told, and right. you just you moved on. Um, why does that, Brian? Why does that piss us off so much? It, it, I find it. I find it crazy that we can use these uh, communication techniques to talk to inmates and negotiate right. and do all of this stuff, but when it comes to a rookie officer, we lose our mind. And that's um, it's, we can it's, talk, it's we can we can talk a fucking killer into putting that shank down. Right. But when it comes to staff, we want to tell you get the fuck away from us. That's right. I'm, I'm having a little bit of uh, lag on my thing. If you're so. there or not. Yeah. Oh, there you're back. He froze up on me. <laughs> okay. Sorry about so, that. I don't know if it came across, but, you know, we can talk to killer and put a fucking knife down, but we want to tell new officers to get the fuck away from us, leave us alone. Right. And it don't make sense because they're the ones that are going to be the future. They're the ones that are going to be saving our ass maybe someday. Um, and they're going to be our partners. So why wouldn't we want to train them right? Well, that's the... That's the point. If if you can trust this guy or this gal to come save your life, but but you can't you, you can't even communicate with them. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And I've been guilty back, you know, when I was an officer, and you get assigned a red tag, and somebody you knew. Well, we <laughs> red tags. You probably don't even know what that is. No. Fill us have, in. We don't have them anymore. We used to have colored name tags in Michigan after Josephine McCollum got killed. Um, they gave people colored name tags, so the red name tag you had less than four months in. And then you went to a green tag for the rest of the year. And then you got your black tag. That's status. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I say red tag. But if you get a new officer assigned to you and maybe you don't like them, maybe you've heard about them, um, and I've done it, you tell them to sit there, shut the fuck up, and I'll take care of the work. You don't got to do nothing. Because it's easier for me to do it than to train you. Um, we need to train these people because if you don't, they grow up to be shit officers, and then you're bitching because they're not worth a shit. But basically, it's your fault because you didn't train them. You know, I th I think it's so important to bridge the gap between training and what the actual job is, right? And, right. and I think the best way to do that is by reaching out to these newer staff and by telling our stories and doing the opposite of what you just said, which is which is just shut the fuck up and I'll do it for you. So, right. uh, if listen. If we could go back, if you, Brian, if you could go back in time and you could talk to your rookie self and you could give yourself some advice, what would you what would you tell yourself? Run, motherfucker. No. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, run. No. I always tell the new staff, um, I always set my new crew down. I always 
because it's a big pet peeve. We, we talked about it. Um, sometimes the public don't take us serious because we don't take us serious. We say, don't take, wait, Brian, say that again. Say that again. The public, we, we complain about the public because they don't take us serious. Um, but it's mostly because we don't take us serious. I'll be we, damned. Yeah, we don't we don't understand or we don't show how important this job really is. Um, so we want people to take us serious, but on the other hand, and, and I would die for you. I come to work every night knowing I might have to die for these people, even if I don't like them. I'm going to show up, and I might have. They might die for me. I don't care if you work in a camp level facility or a fucking max. Any day at any prison, you can fucking die, and we know that. And and you can't you can't get that anywhere else. I can't even get a person right. on the outside to help me move a fucking couch. Right. But, but, but correctional officers, <laughs> right. without hesitation, will run to help save right. their partner just and because they hear it on the radio. We don't right. even know what's going on. But right. but we can't. So so you're right. I'm willing to risk my life for you, but I don't want to talk to you. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. And so we want people to take us serious, but then a lot of us talk shit about each other. You know, and so that's one of the first things I tell my my new officers when I sit them down, form your own opinion about people. Don't listen to the rumors. I might hate this fucking piece of shit over here, but they might end up being your best friend because maybe they're not what I think they are. Right. Uh, form your own opinions. Don't get involved in the gossip and the rumors. Um, Correctional facilities don't have a rumor problem, Brian. Not at all. No. <laughs> it's not a rumor mill at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tell them to learn policies and procedures like it's just memorize every bit. And even if even if you your fairly don't facility don't follow them or you don't think they do, um, policies will save your job or it will cost you your job. Right. Um, so it's very important to know those. Um, the officers you get assigned to, you're going to get assigned to good and bad. You can learn as much from either one. You can learn as much from a shitty officer as you can a good officer. Um, I think you need to find that person you trust. I always had at least one. I had more than one. I worked with some good people. I was fortunate coming up through the ranks. Um, but you need to at least have that one person you can trust that you can go to. I always had somebody I could call if I had a question, if I needed help with something. Um, and I think I think the main thing in, in kind of this crusade we're on with the mental health thing is you need to talk about work. Um, I don't care if it's at work, if it's with your wife, I, I suggest you talk to your wife, husband, significant other, whatever you have. Um, cause you got to talk about this stuff. It's going to affect you. I don't, you know, these people that say it doesn't affect you. I think you're either one liars or two of their liars. Because <laughs> <laughs> a few people off, but I love it. It is what it is. And if this job truly has never, never affected you, then it is your responsibility to train these new kids and tell us a secret. See, I, I, I think that it, what amazes me is that we spend so much time in training and in the, on the job kind of preparing for the what if. What if this inmate causes a scene? What if this inmate has a weapon? What if, I, you know, we, we train to talk with our hands up here. You know, right. we, we learn situational awareness, reactionary gap, all of that stuff. Right. But we completely leave out the emotional defense, the psychological defense, the, 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 the information about, hey, by the way, when somebody threatens to kill you, when somebody gets up in your face, when you see a body laying there in the middle of the cell, it may have some effects on you. Why, why right. do you think we do that, Brian? 
Oh, I think it's because we're all badasses and we can't show any weakness. Um, it's 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 weak to show that you have some fucking heart, some feelings, some emotions, and and that's a culture we got to change. Um, the article I wrote in March was titled "Our Normal Is Not Normal." The shit we see is not normal. In that article, I list and everything I put in an article is something I've seen or it's happened. Um, everything you just the stuff we see and deal with is not normal. People don't see people eating their own shit and <laughs> and you know just pulling their intestines out and swinging them like a fucking lasso. We right. Don't see that shit. Right. And to say that you can see that every day and it not fucking bother you is bullshit. Uh, uh, we got a comment on here that uh, that are they're voicing their discontent for the computer training that is replacing it seems to be replacing all over the country the the static training and and i'm not i don't want to bash uh training departments uh, i don't want to bash facilities they're doing the best that they can um and and i think that the important thing is to continue that conversation that information officer to officer so i can get on the computer and i can complete my fire extinguisher training and that's good that satisfies what the department needs but if i but if i don't feel comfortable then it's my obligation to go and 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 we'll just say i'm working with brian here and say hey brian um how do you use this fire extinguisher you know or or vice versa uh hey um when you're handcuffing somebody uh is this the proper way to to do it i mean i know it's not perfect but but that's kind of we kind of have to adapt and overcome I, uh, I I kind of agree with them if they're not a big fan of the, the computer-based training. Uh, I think this is all comes down to the money-driven corrections. Um, when you start running your corrections department on a budget, that's dangerous. And our, our training used to be five days at a facility, and now it's two days. And then the rest is online. So, yeah, I agree. We need more face-to-face and, yeah. The, the computer-based training doesn't change. It's the same stuff every year, so you don't even read it. You just click through it and answer the questions. No, Brian, that's not true. I read every word of it. Right. You read it all. <laughs> I have my certificates to prove it. Hey, I'm going to go back real quick. Uh, yeah. uh, Trey on here comments. He says, I think this has something to do with us talking to the new people. He says, we don't want to build a relationship with somebody. We don't always feel or that they are there to stay or that they are there to help. And we ultimately don't want to deal with the emotion if something bad happens and, 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 and I like this comment and, and it's right, but here's yeah. what, here's what we have to do. So somebody's got to take the risk. Somebody's right. got to reach out and say, Hey, I'm Bill. It's nice to meet you. Uh, let me, let me show you the job. You know, if that guy is not, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I live shift to shift, man, because mm-hmm. the corrections uh, turns over so much. That, right. that all I care about is, is this guy here to help me today? Is this girl here to help me today? You know, right. and, and, and over the years, um, we, we learn to, uh, you know, to develop relationships, but I'm going to challenge people right here. Uh, when we're talking about this, okay. I've worked in corrections for 16 years. You've worked in corrections for 24 years. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've gotten together with uh, another officer at the facility, maybe, maybe two hands, maybe I'm up to like seven or eight times. So when we say we don't want to get to know a person, I mean, that's kind of, what are we actually talking about here? I mean, I, I'm not out and about 
you know, having barbecues with with my fellow officers, although I really, really would love to. But but right. I don't because they remind me of the jail. Right. And, 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 that, to work. and, and that's we're going to get together and we're going to fucking talk about work. And who wants to do that? Right. Um, I agree with Trey. Um, we don't always feel that they're here to stay. The pe- I do I do know employee interviews once in a while, and we are getting some very educated people. Um, so I know people hiring in with a master's degree that mm-hmm. are not corrections officers the rest of their life. Right. And they're not here to stay. They're on the move. Um, so yeah, we see a, a higher turnover rate. I've never seen people quit the prison at the rate they're quitting right now. I mean, it's yeah, people are not here to stay. You don't know how long they're going to be there. You know, and I think I think we have a lot to do with that. I think that the the environment is tough enough, right? When you come in right. and it's overwhelming and it and it and it stinks and it's loud and and you right. meet people you didn't even know existed, right? And yeah. then you have a group of angry individuals who don't even want to learn your name until you've been here for, you know, years. Right. I mean, that's right. that's kind of shitty. So it I is. think a lot of the turnover has to do with how we're treating and how we're mentoring or not mentoring the staff yeah. that are coming up. Right. Yeah. When, when I hired in, I, I've had people tell me, sit down, shut the fuck up and don't talk to me. You're, you're, uh, I was a green tag then, which don't mean shit to you guys, but you know, you're a green tag, you know, you should don't talk to me until you're a black tag. And that's how they treat you. So yeah, we got to change that stuff, man. <laughs> Do you have to wear those? You wear those tags on your uniform? Well, we used to, they, they, they got rid of them a few years ago. So the inmates knew if you were new or not, then oh, based absolutely. on your tag. Absolutely. Oh, that's crazy, man. You don't, you don't think they fed on that, do you? Oh, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm i going to start calling people green tags at work when I go back. Yeah, red, red tag and green tag. But, uh, you know, prisoners observe us anyhow. They know when you're new. Right, right, right. Just by the way you carry yourself, they know. Brian, what's your, what's your favorite part of being a – listen, I, I, I spent a lot of focus on um, – on kind of the 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 negativity here, but what what's your favorite part about being a correctional officer? Oh, that biweekly memo that you posit in my checking account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what brings me back. Uh, no, I, man, when I hired it's prison in Michigan, I don't know about everywhere else, has evolved so much. Um, when I hired in, it was more of a uh, you're just. So we're warehousing prisoners. There wasn't much on rehabilitation. Um, things were handled way different, um, usually with force and a lot of it. Right. No cameras. Where now it's evolved to a lot of rehabilitation, a lot of programs. Um, but now I enjoy working with uh, new staff the most. I do. Um, when they get that aha moment when it clicks, when you, when you work with them and work with them, and then you see them in a situation and they handle it. It's one of those proud daddy moments. <laughs> nice. We have a, we have a comment here, Brian. We're going to, we're going to jump back and forth. You guys are leaving great comments. Keep, keep putting them below here. Uh, Audrey says, it doesn't surprise me when staff develop relationships with inmates. We're social creatures. And that instinct sometimes creates a film over the moral judgments. And, and think about that. You come in, you're brand new, you come into a correctional facility, and I've said this a thousand times. If if you have any character flaws, any insecurities, any anything, that those those inmates will expose that. That environment will expose that. And and, and so you spend the majority of your day isolated from staff, right. especially now. Uh, I, I don't know how your facility is, but we've limited the movement going in and out 
uh, because oh, yeah. we, we, we don't want people to have contact with other people right now for obvious reasons. Right. right. But then that leaves an officer by themselves on an island to, to kind of fend for themselves. Right. So how, how important is it, Brian, to, to check in on staff? And then if you see somebody who you think may be making a poor decision or poor judgment, what, how, how do you approach that as a, as a lieutenant? Man, I'm, whew, that's definitely uh, stuff to look out for. I'm, if I see something I think is a, a flag, I'm going to talk to them. Um, I'm going to pull them up to the office and just share my concerns. Um, and then if I have to, I'll, I'll keep watching. But um, like you said, character flaws, uh, yeah, this job will bring out, it will magnify them. Um, people ask, you know, how do all these women get caught up with prisoners? And well, if you hire in a prison and you have zero self-esteem and you've been beat down your whole life, and then you come in here and you got 2,000 men telling you how fine you are. Right. They can play on your head and, uh, you know, sometimes they fall victim to it. So, yeah, it's... it's I, uh, I think one of the toughest jobs... I, I, I think being a correctional officer has got to be one of the toughest, toughest jobs on this planet. But being a female correctional officer... hundred times worse. Oh, my God. I Listen, I, I cannot... I have so much respect for my sister's... Uh, at the facility, I, I I love them. I not only them, but I love everybody in the facility. You know, you talk yeah. about you know what's the best part about being a correctional officer is that that connection, that that love mm. that you have for you know. And I always I tell a lot of people in the hallway, all right, guys, love you, see you later. Uh, but I, I I do, and I don't know if I don't know if people understand the level of of respect that we have for each other, the level of uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a connection you can't replicate anywhere else. Right. Yeah. W women have it a lot worse and, and it, it's not really fair. Um, I can go talk to a prisoner for 10, 15 minutes and nobody will blink an eye, but you let a female talk to a prisoner for five minutes and she's fucking them. Right. There's going on. So yeah, besides all the bullshit harassment they put up with from prisoners and probably even staff too. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll respect for them. It's a tough gig. And, and people have asked how you feel about working with women. Shit, I've worked with women that would have my back before some men I've worked with in a fight. Right. So, and you know, and there's some women that can calm down a situation more than I can. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it gets tricky for me sometimes because I forget. I it I forget right. And so when certain situations go on and you're handling certain situations or you're saying things, um, is you know. I, sometimes I don't know how to react. I feel like I almost need to apologize for what we just saw. Um, right. And, and, but you know, I'm not, it's not because I, I feel like they can't handle it. I just, I don't want any of my fellow officers to deal with any of that bullshit. Right. And you know, Anthony Ganji just commented. Uh, oh, he, he did. Said, Where's he at here? He said the averse of that is male officers in female prisons go through the same stereotype. When I was a sergeant, I worked at a female facility for a short period, and he's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, if you see a man off with one of the female prisoners talking for an extended period of time, you automatically assume there's something going on. I am yeah. scared to death to go into a female housing unit. When I go into the female housing unit and they say, oh, oh, Officer Young, uh, did you, your eyes are pretty. Oh, Officer Young, have you lost weight? Yeah. You know what? And I'm, I, I'm just like, shut up. And I, right. I just want to sit where the camera can see me 
and I don't want to move until that female officer comes back. I just sit there and they, hey, can I? No. I just tell them, no, get away from me. You know, it's just, I, I, so I can't imagine what it's like. And we're, we're going to do a show. I've talked to a couple of female officers. We're going to do a show about women in corrections and, uh, and it's, it's going to be an awesome show, but, uh, I worked at a female facility. Um, I told them I'd give them a year and see how it goes. Um, I had a warden. It was in, we only have one female facility in Michigan. That's in Ypsilanti. Um, I told him I'd give him a year and I had a warden from Jackson call me after seven months and say, do you, you want to come back to Jackson? And I said, I'm going to hug you when I get there, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was there. It was different. That's a different world. Hey, uh, 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 Thomas watching here says that I do have pretty eyes. Thomas, I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. I bet when I was in high school, uh, we had these senior mock awards for our senior year and I, I got voted pretty as eyes. See, that's it. We are, we are. Yeah, we're the we're the same person. Uh, I, but I also want to tell Thomas that he needs to get online and do his sexual harassment uh, e-learning training uh, because that comment is inappropriate in this. In this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh oh. Uh, my one of my coworkers on here. We're we're gonna have a long discussion about. She's one of the people that I'm talking about when we talk about females and corrections because she is. Man, she's a superstar, and she is uh, her stories and 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 the things that she's been through. She's like you said, uh, the people that will take into a fight. I mean, we all had people that we're comfortable with, right? Male, okay. female, it doesn't matter. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that when when you're just starting out in this profession, that I think that kind of some people uh, have a hard time with is is because we don't know what they're going to do, we don't know how they're going to react, we don't trust them. Because we've never right. been in that situation with them, we want to take people that we're comfortable with. We want to Absolutely. we want to be in the fight with somebody that we know will will that has helped us before. Absolutely. Oh, geez, we got now, Brian. You've got sexy eyes. Oh my gosh, here here we go. Oh, that's I, my wife. Oh, Thank there. You. Hey, all right, there we go. I got someone on my team. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, um, I did a. Uh, uh, funny thing about eyes. I did a, uh, a Christ negotiation school and uh, we talked about being emotionally dead. And so I brought up stripper eyes, uh, how a stripper's <laughs> eye, you know, on the surface, they love you and everything, but behind they're all, they're all dead. Anyway, it, it was a my whole wife, thing. My wife's here. I have no idea what a stripper's eyes look like. Well, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> so Brian, if you weren't working in corrections, uh, if you could do anything, other than this, what would you do? Looking back, I would go some medical. I would go somewhere I could help people work with cancer patients in some way. I think, yeah, that's what I. Some medical. Nice, like, uh, like, would you you would prefer that end versus like emergency room or like? No, no well, emergency room would be good. I like the action. I like the action. So yeah, ER, ER kind of relates to prison. You're either you know slow as hell or it's hopping. So right. Well, so yeah. what? So what do you do when you're when you're at? I, I know you you have your motorcycle. You talked about riding your motorcycle, but what do you do to uh, to kind of get that adrenaline rush or that dump when you're uh, when you're not at work? Mm, man, um, my motorcycle is my favorite. Um, I started painting a little bit, doing some painting, writing. The writing is a great outlet for me. That's that's probably been the best outlet. Um, getting things out of my head on the paper and sharing them, which is, you know, makes you pretty vulnerable too. So, right. 
Yeah, I started a new thing, uh, bird watching. Nice. Yeah, I'm already getting made fun of by some of my officers, but you know, whatever. Did I ever tell you the story about the Hot Wheel? Uh, the Hot Wheel guy. I, I yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, let me let me just I'll, I'll fill people in here real quick. Uh, we're this is me and and Lieutenant Brian Hughes. We're talking about uh, stupid shit that we do to get our mind off corrections. And I was watching this this show. And uh, I'm sitting there, and this guy is is talking about how he paints little Hot Wheels in his basement. He custom paints his Hot Wheels, and and it turns out the guy was a cop. And and it made perfect sense to me that something like painting Hot Wheels or bird watching or growing a garden uh, that that makes perfect sense for people who work in this profession to do. And I I've jumped around to so many hobbies, and my wife just sits back and watches now because. I'm going to find a new hobby and I'm going to go spend $5,000 on it. And then I'm going to move on to something else because I'm fucking bored now. Right. Right. So. <laughs> Listen, you've, you've, you've mentioned your wife a couple of times. I know she's listening. How important is it for you to have the support of your friends and family to have your wife in your corner, especially now on your new adventure, you're writing, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of at a crossroads in your uh, professional life where you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of break away from the herd and I'm going to talk about some of this other stuff. Um, how important is that? Is that relationship? How important is it to have kind of that person in the loop? Man, it's probably the most important thing you can have. Um, and it's, I've realized it more just, you know, recently, you know, after reaching out to you in, in writing, um, I've shared before every day, for 24 years or more, my wife will ask me how my day was. Every day when I come home, she'll say, how was your day? And every day I will say, just another day. Rather, it was just another day, or rather I just watched a guy fucking butchered right. and die choking on his own blood. But I don't share that with her. I don't share work with her. And that's a big adage here in Michigan. Maybe it's everywhere. Leave work at work and home at home. Oh, that, that's my trigger, Brian. That's my trigger. And I was a professional at that. I didn't talk about work. I don't come home and tell war stories because you want to protect your family from that bullshit. And so, you know, 24 years later, I protected my family from the shit. And what I realized I was doing was isolating my wife from that part of my world. Um, and I need her in that part because she's she's my support. She's my go-to. It's a cliche, but she's my best friend. Right. I don't do shit without her. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty important to have that person. You got to have that person because if you don't, it's a lot of these people end up killing themselves. Right, and we talked we talked about this a little bit a little bit last week when I had uh, uh, Audrey on, um, being able to talk to somebody and reaching out with somebody and 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 it, if you if, if for whatever reason you feel like you can't talk to your spouse, I I, I certainly mm-hmm. recommend doing so. But the main thing is that you talk to somebody and that you, right. you whether it be a coworker or a priest or a pastor, but, but here's the thing, coming home and saying, I'm fine, or just another day, or oh, work was work, mm-hmm. they know you better than anybody. They know, Absolutely. they know when you're happy, they know when you're pissed off. And, so they know when you're lying. Right. They know when you're lying. Yeah. And it doesn't do anybody any favors if you bottle that shit in and then you wait till you explode. It just, it, right. it doesn't, it doesn't help. And you are going to explode. Might not be a year, might not be five, but it's coming. I got uh, I got uh, Danielle on here. She's 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 a wife of a correctional officer that I'm going to talk to next week. He was he was taken hostage in in a situation at the facility that he worked in, and she writes this fantastic blog. And I post the uh, post the deals up. Um, 
at, from a wife's perspective. And, 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 you know, and I, I had, I had a conversation with, uh, with my wife a while back. Um, she asked me a question about the job and I said, well, Hey, I just wrote an article about this. You know, don't you read it? And she says, no, I don't read your articles. And my I, wife said the same thing. It, it, and, <laughs> and I said, well, oh, okay. But here's why. So, so the reason, and I never thought about this, Brian, every day, listen, I go to work, I, I fight the battles that we fight at work. I'm, right. I'm, I'm controlling my mental state. I'm preparing myself emotionally for the job. I'm dealing with the, 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 the repercussions of it. And I never once gave it a, a, a thought on how it was affecting her. And, and right. she said that the reason that she doesn't wa- read uh, or watch or any of that is because she doesn't, she can't take on my anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, talk and we have conversations and she knows what I do, but, Mm -hmm. but the writing is, it's too raw. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but that's why I I think it's awesome that, that Daniela is, is sharing these, uh, these blogs. She's got a blog and I post them up when she posts a new one, but, uh, because I would have never thought, and I bet a lot of people wouldn't is, is okay. So you're taking hostage and everybody wants to know, Hey, uh, you know, how's he, how's he doing? How's he doing? How's he doing? Right. Not realizing and not understanding that the whole time that he's at work, she's at home wondering if he's ever going to come home. And, right. and, and that, and the way she, she writes about that and stuff, it, man, it, I'll tell you what, it tears me up a little bit. Just, just thinking yeah. about it. Jim, yeah, that's a great perspective to get. Oh man. Yeah. Her side. Yeah. Look, I, I asked some people what they're doing here for uh, decompressing and, and we got working out, climbing a mountain, uh, Jim Carpenter and his uh, Blood Bowl miniature fantasy football. Yeah, this is good. The main thing, I the main thing is that we do, that we do something, that we do right. something. Well, getting people to reach out is the hard part. Um, we have programs for work and employee services. Um, that wasn't real, real effective. Uh, so they brought in another person and they started another program through the state and. The problem is nobody trusts the state. I won't say nobody, but the majority of staff don't trust the state. And so any program the state implements is not going to be fully used and because they just don't trust the state. And so we, we have to find other ways to convince people to reach for help. They, they got to trust somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Brian, I got a, I, so I got a question from the crowd here, from the peanut gallery, if you will. Uh, Sir Anthony Ganji wants to know your opinion on uh, the term guard versus correctional officer, and does it even matter? Man, I'm old school. I don't really give a fuck personally. Um, I've been called guard forever, but I still, when I hear other people say it, it irritates me a little bit. (laughs) Um, I think guards were uneducated, um, corrections officers are very educated and highly trained. I think there's a big difference between the two. I don't think the guards I worked with 24 years ago could do some of the stuff we do today. You, you know why the, the why that I I hate I hate when people say guard. I hate when right. you watch a news a news uh, yeah. program and they say guard 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 and then they say oh this person was sentenced to 25 years in jail or you know or they have to do two weeks in prison i mean they don't they don't understand and the reason that i think that 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 we deserve to be called correctional officers or correctional professionals versus guards or hacks or screws 
It, because exactly what you just said, the job itself has changed. Uh, we are no longer just sitting there making sure nobody stabs each other. We're mentoring people. Right. We're, we're people's high school counselors. I mean, we, the, the amount of people that are suffering from mental illness inside of a correctional facility it, it is astronomical. I mean, the, just from my start to where I am now, I mean, it's crazy. And, and so I think, I think that the, the type of work that we have to do nowadays versus what we used to do, like you said, we used to go in, used to use a lot of force, and that was it. The guy who was kicking, screaming, banging on the door was just an asshole. Well, now right. we know that the guy might be a paranoid schizophrenic who's been off his meds, who, who also right. is coming off of a street drug, and we have to handle right. that a different way. Absolutely. And, and so I think that, that and again, I put, I, listen, I don't, I don't care if anybody gives me anything or calls me anything or any, I mean, I don't give a shit. I'm not doing the things right. that I'm doing for me. I'm doing the things that I'm doing for you. I'm doing the things that I'm doing for my brothers and sisters that are mandated all the time, that have to put up with, uh, the, this craziness all the time. And, and so they deserve respect. They deserve recognition, right? It, it, to me, it's the same as, right. it, it, you know, do you say police officer or do you say, do you say cop? You know, uh, right. you know, for me, for me, that's what it is. Great question, Anthony. I appreciate you, you hanging out. Audrey says that prisons are the, are the largest psychiatric facilities. And she's, she's right. She's right. Absolutely. How, what, what are you guys doing up there in um, in your facility for for programming uh, for uh, uh, some resources like that? Has it changed and and has staff been receptive to that? Man, has it changed? <laughs> Massive changes as far as that. Um, oh, I just wanted to touch on when you said the media says guard, guard, guard. Yep. Them bastards do it on purpose. They know it pisses us off. Um, <laughs> uh, Man, Governor Engler, many, many years ago, shut down every mental hospital in the state of Michigan. So Michigan got, Michigan prisons got flooded with mental health prisoners. And we're, we're not trained to, to deal with that type of stuff. We're more trained now, but still ain't adequate at all. Um, we have so many programs in the state now. From the day they enter into prison and the reception and guidance center begins the process of getting them home. Um, they set up programs, they set up training, um, they set up job training. We have people leaving with jobs making 20 bucks an hour, you know, working for consumers energy here in, in Michigan. So um, it's totally changed. Like I said before, it was just a warehouse. You warehouse them and then you kick them on the street and then we expected them to be different. Um, reception wise is like any other thing that's new in facility, nobody likes it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think some people have came around to it. I, I see both sides. That's one thing that pisses me off about myself is I see both sides of every issue. You know, I don't like it. Well, um, that's good. That's called perspective, buddy. You're that's what you should have. It sucks. <laughs> um, I just want to have my view and just it's it. This is the right way. Right. Um, but it, you know, we can't just lock somebody up for five, 10, 20 years and then kick them on the street and get pissed off when they reoffend. So I understand that if a prisoner wants to make a change, he's, he's got to want it. We can't force him through AA, NA, all these other programs. We can't force him to get job skills, but they're there if he wants them. And there's absolutely no excuse that they go home without any skills now, because we offer so many. Now, here's what I'd like to see, Brian. I'd like to see those same resources that you're talking about implemented for staff. 
Okay. I, I would like to see re-entry staff for officers. What do you think about that? I think that's genius. That's uh, that's one of the complaints staff have is that prisoners are getting all this training, which is very expensive training. Like we have truck driving schools in our facility. Nice. Um, yeah, which isn't cheap for me or you to go through, but a felon is getting it for free and they have a job when they get out of prison. So yeah, that's one of the complaints staff have is where's our training or why do my kids have to pay $50,000 for college, but this prisoner can get it for free. So here's my thing on this, and this is probably going to piss some people off, but I, I, I honestly think that, that our job locking people up, letting them back out again, doesn't, doesn't do anything. I, I think that it's very important to give them some kind of tools give them a, 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 a trade, anything. So when they get back out, they're better neighbors, they're, they're functioning members of the society. But what I'd like to see and, and what I'd like to implement, should I think that I think that part of our computer training that Thomas was talking about should be anger management. It should be a class on addiction because, right. because drinking three whiskeys and chasing some melatonin and sleeping for two and a half hours is a problem. Right. And, and we need to have that. We need to have that kind of information. Right. Well, and something else that's an issue that one of the things I'm going to try to address here and some stuff I'm doing, um, we don't often think about it or talk about it, uh, but the mental health of the retirees. I've had several retirees reach out to me, even my own father, when he retired, he said, you know, one day I'm running a facility. I'm running this place. And the next day I'm not shit. I wake up and I'm nobody. It's hard to deal with. Right. That's a lot to process. So I've talked to a couple of retirees and they're like, yeah, this, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'm still fucked up. You know, here, I mean, here's the real, the real deal, man, is that we get institutionalized, that we spend 20 years of our life doing nothing but, but being incarcerated. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and those skills don't necessarily translate to the real world. So it's, it's very important that when you're kind of getting, uh, you know, on the downhill slide of your career, to start thinking about what you want to do with the rest of your life. And if you have to go to college, if you have to pick up a trade, if you have to do something, then, then, then you have to do it. Now I, I have, I have a, a, a comment, a couple comments here. And one of them is what can management do to alleviate some of the stressors we face every day? Um, and uh, Pierce, a lot of people talking about peer support and, and, and then Trey chimes in and he says, it's not so much uh, to me what, and if they can do for us, but more so how they do it for us. So here's here's what I've always said. I think that there's a divide between administration and staff. We understand that. We all know that. And, and it's because we have different focuses. And I'm not going to pretend to know or pretend that I'm even qualified to talk about what they do. Right? right? But I'm of the opinion that no matter what administration does for us, it's not going to be good enough. Absolutely not. It, 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 so, so when people are saying, what can we do? What can they do? What can they do? Well, it doesn't matter what they do because right. we're so jaded. We're so cynical that we always want to know why, why are they doing right. it? What's going on? We're, you know, we're going to, we're going to bitch because they didn't do something and then they're going to do it. And then we're going to bitch. They didn't do it fast enough. That's right. And that's just the way it is. And, and that's why, that's why I like what you're trying to do. That's why I like people out there that are being advocates for their their fellow officers is because I believe that uh, listen for, for it's important for me to know that I have the respect and the trust of my coworkers, right? Right, and that's all that matters to me. 
if they know that I'm going to come running when there's a problem, then that's all I care about. Mm -hmm. I, I don't need anything else, right? I just, right. I just want it for them, from them. You know, this and the same thing. They, they, I know that they're they're going to be there for me, and 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 I hope I hope that my love, my admiration for them, I, I hope that helps a little bit. Right. Absolutely. It's, uh, guys, keep the comments coming. This is uh, this is awesome. Um, Trey is chiming in here. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Thomas said again. Thomas is uh, the one who commented on my eyes earlier. He says, and I agree with this. He says, whether it be guard, corrections officer, or detention officer, the word that pisses them off the most is when they say just, right? right. And and, yeah. and I have a firsthand experience of this man when I went to uh, I went to a restaurant and uh, I was in uniform. I was on my way to work. And I want, I, I was ordering my food. I came through, I, I got ready to pay. And the lady gave me the law enforcement discount. Okay. Didn't ask for it. Don't care, whatever. Um, but the, the lady that was cooking on the grill ran from the back up to the front and said, no, 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 no. He's just corrections. He doesn't get it. Right. And I'm like, what, what the mm. fuck does that mean? Just corrections. I'm we, like, we had, we had such a bad reputation for a while in the local hospital that when we'd walk in with a prisoner, you would hear a nurse somewhere in the back say, it's a Jaffo, just another fucking officer. And that's how they referred to us for a long time. And that was that was your coworkers or that was what who's oh, no, no. That, was, that was yeah. That was yeah. There's some other point you hit on. I want to oh BJ. I think BJ hit the nail on the fucking head. Frontline staff deal with the consequences of their decisions. I'm assuming he means administration's decisions or changes that they make and think are for the good of the facility. Uh, that's one of my biggest complaints is it's easy to sit in your air conditioned office and make decisions and not think of the trickle down effect. So when you make a decision at the top, you don't think about how that affects the captain, the lieutenant, the sergeant, and then overall the officers that are gonna have to implement this great decision you came up with without without seeking some some input from people that do the job every day. Right. And so my focus is this. And this is what I this is what I tell people. I say, look, it all we have is the tools that we have right before us right now to survive. We have the people that are working here. It's not like we can stop and handle the situation after they hire and train more people. So we have the people that we have, we have the equipment that we have, we have the policies that we have in place. All of that is here right now. I can't do anything to change any of that right now. So what we have to do is navigate this situation right now with what we have before us. And and I think we're very very good at that. And I and I think that the focus like you said is different. It's 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 their big picture focus and we are very uh, we we have a very uh specific because when you bring up a policy i can bring up a situation in my head right now that says yeah that's why this policy don't work because of this situation right here but i don't Absolutely. even think about the other hundred situations where it was just fine it wasn't even an issue right right <laughs> but but i'm right. but i'm i'm focused on my uh experiences and, and i right. think I, and I think that's what we got to do look we have to make sure that we can do whatever we can do to make sure that our coworkers get home safe both physically and mentally. And, and, and sometimes that, and, and you know, people have been uh, talking about peer support throughout the comments here, and, and that's right. When something happens, 
I'm going to be right there with you. When something happens on your shift, Brian, you're going to be right there. And so you have to be ready to respond. You have to have that foundation with your coworkers. It's not like uh, we're going to sit around and wait for a call from somebody else to tell us, hey, oh, yeah, you know, this is what you need to do. No, you you have to be ready to help your coworker right there, peer support. And that and that's the best thing that you can do. Well, and, and that's the culture we got to change. That's, you know, that's a hell of an obstacle. Um, we, we've talked about it before. If if an officer or anybody calls for help on a radio, man, people come running from places you didn't even know people were working that day. You will have people everywhere to help you. But when it comes to our mental state, we fucking, we freeze up. We don't ask for help. We don't reach out to, we don't reach out to our spouse. Right. You know, the last five to six people that have killed themselves totally blew my fucking mind because they're not the type of person you would ever think. You know, you always joke about, and that guy's going to shoot the place up someday, you know, be nice to him. Right. You know what I mean? But uh, these, these people killing themselves are great fucking people. They're great officers. And, you know, there's there's something wrong and we, we got to fix this. No, you're right. It, it, the, the the misconception of what, of what suicidal ideology, of what depression, what anxiety, what PTSD <laughs> looks like. I mean, it, it's it's not right. I mean, I, Robin right. Williams is a great example of that. And, and basically yes. what Robin Williams, he spent his whole life entertaining other people, making sure other people were okay. And then he said at the end of the day, he had nothing left, nothing left for himself. And, and, and that's how I feel sometimes, you know, we're, we're solving problems. We're, we're stepping in, we're intervening, we're, we're dancing, performing for all these people all day long. And then if we don't have anything for ourselves, if we don't have any coping mechanisms, if we don't have any way to recharge our batteries, it's going to take a toll on us. Right, absolutely. Um, Jim Carpenter says admin have to deal with the consequences of decisions made by line staff, which is true. That's, you know, to me, that's one of the most stressful parts of my job. I'm now responsible for all the decisions these people are making out there on their job. Um, and Anthony Ganji agreed. He said a front line needs to understand why these decisions have been made. I think that's also a good point, but it's also part of my job. I'm that link in between administration and the frontline staff. Um, and yeah, a lot of decisions need to be made. I guess more what I was referring to is maybe changing some procedures. So if you sit in your office and you change a procedure and then you come and say, hey, this is how we're going to do things. And I look at it and I say, okay, well, now you just disrupted what time yard starts. And then if you change that, now you disruptive when child starts. And now you just disruptive when uh, insulin line starts. So, you know, that's what I was referring to is you got to think these things through before just implementing changes. Right. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, Daniela said uh, that in, we're talking about the roles uh, that correction officers play. And uh, she said inside you're the police fire of your institutions. And that's a big weight to carry. And I think that, uh, Brian, when we started this interview, you said that, that, that the public doesn't recognize what we do. But more importantly, we don't even recognize what we do. And, and uh, that's why shows like this are important. That's why tear talks important. That's why uh, we need a, a thousand guys like yourself out there writing articles and, and, and talking about this kind of thing. So we can get our, our brothers and sisters, the recognition and the respect that they deserve for, for doing what they do. You know what? I, I, there was a picture in the paper the other day of, of, of a street lined with people 
uh, clapping and holding signs for meatpacking workers who who went back into the facility, right? These essential workers that go back in the facility. And, and I don't have a, a, a problem with that. I mean, I think it's great that they're doing what they're doing. Uh, right. I appreciate them keeping the food supply going. But you know how many pictures I've seen in the paper of people standing in front of a prison clapping? Yeah. <laughs> right. We yeah. Don't exist. The answer is fucking zero. The right. answer is zero. And, and, yeah. and, and here's the thing. And, and we talked about this a little bit. When, when it gets too hot and when, when, when things get a little too dangerous, all these people that are essential can, can stop going to work. But there's a few professions that can't, that can't right. stop going to work no matter what the risk is. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I put that little video up. Uh, I had some, I had some people do, uh, you know, little thank yous for, for correction mm-hmm. and put the video up. And my, my buddy said, he said on there, he said, he said, we were there before COVID and we'll be there after COVID. And I think that's, a, that's, that's the thing. We're going to handle this situation like we've handled every other situation together as a team, and we'll get through it as a team. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So so I got a guy here, Chris James. He says, any advice for someone who is just starting in the field? So, Lieutenant, give give Mr. James some advice for me. Oh, I did that earlier. I said run, goddammit. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, don't run. Don't run. It can be a very rewarding career if you want it to be. Well, let's see. Advice for starting the field. Man, learn everything you can. Like I, I said earlier, I don't know if you were here. Um, you're going to work with some great officers, and you learn everything you can. And you're going to work with some shitbags, and you can learn just as much by what not to do. Um, so it, you got to take that experience from all directions. Um, study those policies and procedures as boring as they are. As much as you think we don't follow them in any ways, they will save your job or take your job. Um, and it's just like we talked about, you just got to have a person you can talk to. It's so important. I didn't realize that the first 20 years of my career, um, you got to have somebody you can talk to. I always had friends. You know, when I hired in, I was a single father. And I always had friends over that wanted to hear the war stories. And I can tell war stories all day long. But you never understand what it's like to have to fight a guy with knives taped to his hands. That sounds cool. Oh, no shit. That's not cool. That's fucking scary. Right, right. We don't talk about that because no one understands it. And that's all part of the culture. We got to we gotta change. We got to get people to, to reach out. We got to get people to talk about these things. Chris Chris says he's changing from, from being a truck driver. Chris, here's what I'm going to tell you. He's got the language down. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's all about communication. Anything you can learn about communicating, uh, anything you can learn about dealing with people and, and treating here, – here, here's a revolutionary thing here, right? Treat people like people, okay? If you go in there with that attitude, with an open mind, learn from the veteran staff that have, that have been living this, this profession, that have been wearing this badge for a long time. And some of them are going to be assholes. Some of them are going to be nice, but you can learn something from every single one of them, right? And if you go in there, be yourself, okay? Don't go in there, be a badass if you're not a badass. You know, if you deal with stuff with with humor, with with sarcasm, then go in there and do that. Go in there Mm -hmm. and do that. Learn your policies. Listen, you're going to hear, be firm, fair, and consistent, firm, fair, and consistent. But a lot of people don't understand what that means. That doesn't mean... That means that you are the same way every day. It doesn't mean you deal with every inmate 
the same or treat every situation the same. It means that you figure out what you're going to stand on, what your principles are, and then you be the same every day. I'll tell you what, you guys, guys that are watching, if you have comments, if you have advice or suggestions for Chris, leave them in the comments below uh, so he can get uh, uh, everybody's perspective uh, from from going on here. Let's see. Uh, Daniel, go ahead, buddy. One thing my old man told me when I hired in, he said, look, there's two types of officers. There's an officer that enforces every single fucking rule. They write a ticket for every single infraction, or you can learn to communicate with somebody. You decide who you want to be. So communication skills are the utmost in this job. Right. I agree. I agree. You know, my, my uncle, I'll share his little piece of advice. He said, don't, don't look at their charges. Don't, don't look at what they're in there for. You know, if, if they're a good person, treat them like a good person. If they're an asshole, then you can decide what to do from there. But, but looking at their charges, looking at their background, looking at their history, uh, although it can seem like, yeah, I need to know that for my own safety. Mm-hmm. It can really kind of jade you uh, and, and change your community, you know, the way that you're going to deal with those people. So I, I recommend doing that. You're, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome, Craig. He said, th- "He said thanks, Brian." All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. We went just a little bit longer than than uh, we usually do. Brian, I want to thank you for coming by the show for talking. I, I I look forward to reading your your article in June, man. Keep the articles coming. You ever need anything, uh, any help, any advice? Uh, call somebody else. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just up here uh, pushing play, uh, doing whatever. But no, seriously, man. If you no, yeah, don't uh, listen. Listen, if you exchange, uh, well, we'll we'll get into that. No, Anthony's a good guy, man. Uh, it, it, there's a a whole network of of people out there that are beating the drums for correctional officers, and and uh, we need more guys like you in the field. We need more more shows we need more articles we need more books beating the drum it's like it's it's like a coast line full of lighthouses helping these officers uh, dock safely and I, and I Brian I appreciate it I want you to keep doing what you're doing and um and again if there's anything ever that you need please let me know and when you go back into the belly of the beast your correctional facility please be safe and pass on my my respect, my admiration to all of your uh, brothers and sisters that work there with you. Okay. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It was a great time and hope to do it again. No problem, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll be live again next Saturday night, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, We'll be in the comment section below. I'll be uploading this video to YouTube later tonight. And if there's anything that you'd like to see on the show, uh, maybe you'd like to be on the show, uh, leave, send me a message, leave me a comment. And if you could do me a favor and share this video with anybody that you think might be interested, that would be much appreciated. All right, guys, until next time, be smart, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk soon. Let's go.